My guest today has over 25 years of leadership experience in a variety of national and global executive roles across a range of industry sectors, from business ownership, executive leadership, change management, to culture creation, brand, product, and all facets of marketing. She has demonstrated creativity, innovation, and entrepreneurial ability in all of her career appointments to date. Today, however, we get raw and real about Michelle's business journey and her creative journey of the last 18 months after leaving the day-to-day of corporate life. You see, Michelle Cox is passionate about living an unconventional life and helping others to live a life that's right for them. Through this curiosity, she was encouraged, shall we say, to write a series of books and launch a podcast under the same name, the Wabi Sabi series. Her books are short and impactful. They're centered around topics we don't often talk about. While her podcast centers around asking guests just one simple question, if there was one thing you wish society would talk more about, what would it be and why? I was nodding my head constantly throughout this interview. I think my jaw is still saw from smiling and I was really in awe of Michelle's bravery and her audacity to create her own career path whether it be her journey through corporate or her journey now and in the last year or so embrace her creative side 100%. Her list of credentials I know is enough to blow the pants off most of us But she's extremely honest and she shares with us that she still has days of self-doubt. And when it comes down to it, her biggest secret, I would say, is embracing the beginner's mindset, starting right from the beginning every single time and not being afraid to phone a friend if you get stuck, if there's something that you don't know the answer to. So this is really, really beautiful wisdom that she shares with us today. And I know that you are going to be super, super inspired as you start to think about what you want to create in 2021. Okay, before we dive into this wonderful conversation, I want to share a quick note from me. Hang on a minute. After today's episode, you might be ready to race out and get started on those goals for 2021. However, before you do that, I really recommend you check out a great freebie that I created called Design Your Business Vision. Now, this was created to help women who are starting from scratch, who have the seed of an idea and they don't know where to go to next. Or maybe it's the woman that's making the pivot in her business and she wants to recreate her vision, create a new vision and a new direction. This is a great exercise to gain clarity on your why, learn how to double down on your zone of genius. I love that stuff. Learn practical elements of your business, like how much time you have to spend, what financial investments you need to be making, and give you space to generate new ideas that align with this vision. To grab your copy, simply head to the show notes and click the link, or type in rubymarsh.com into your browser and drop your details in at the top of the page. I can't wait to hear what you create. This is the True To You podcast, your very own work bestie. Each week, we come together for honest conversations about reinventing yourself and your career, all while navigating a path towards meaningful work. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. Welcome to the Trudy Podcast, Michelle. Thank you for your time today because you're about to race off and do some other things after this. And as you're going to find out, this woman has many talents and we're going to dive first into talking about her career journey, which 
there's been a lot in it, she tells me, and she had to write some notes to make sure that she captured everything. So welcome, Michelle. Let's dive into a little bit around what you've done with your life up to 2020, the year of all years. (laughs) Thanks, Ruby. It's divine to be here and um, chatting to you today. Thank you for having me on and congratulations on your podcast so far. It's um, fabulous and all the interviews you've done, some really interesting content there. So Um, Yeah, you asked the question about my career journey. It's um, been diverse. (laughs) In short, uh, I've not had a traditional, um, I guess, you know, career trajectory like most people have. So I was trying to think about how I could give you a short, sharp view of that, um, you know, in three seconds, uh, rather than, you know, taking minutes to uh, describe all the different things I've Mm -hmm. done so far. But Essentially, um, at university, I did PE. I wanted to do uh, corporate health. Uh, that I landed into um, doing fitness, and um, I was a fitness instructor, which then and did corporate health for Coles Mayo. I grew up in Melbourne. Then that took me to London and worked for a centre over there, which then I fell into tourism, and I never looked back. Then I've been in tourism now for 25 years. So over in London, I became a tour guide uh, with you know, Top Deck Travel, which Top Deck and Kentucky, the big sort of yeah. um, trips for 18 to 35-year-olds, the rites of passages. And I literally could write a book about those experiences that I had. I was only 23 and, uh, you know, looking after 50 18 to 35-year-olds. So it was quite an experience. And then I came back to Australia and did more um, touring all around the length and breadth of our country as a tour guide, cook and tour manager um, for, for a couple of companies here and then got into hospitality and um, hotel management. So did that for about six years, running my own resorts as well, buying into businesses and um, then uh, probably all along the way I've always been strong in sort of the marketing sense, even though I've not, you know, officially trained as a marketer. Um, I have always had a love for the way things look, for advertising, for branding. And that was just an innate thing that sort of, you know, has gone through all my life. And uh, then I sort of started to progress that a lot. So did I was a GM of marketing, then I was a CMO, um, which is chief marketing officer, then I was a COO, then I was a CEO. <laughs> so I've done all the C-suite jobs. Um, so all through those journeys of different tourism roles from um, running SGA Travel as the managing director for SGA for Asia Pacific, um, the head um, of uh, marketing, so GM marketing globally for APT. And then um, then I started to take, I wanted to do a little bit of a different career path. And that's not uncommon for me. I think now that I'm sort of where I'm at right, right here today, I like to challenge myself and I like to see if my skills are transferable into other, um, you know, other areas and categories and potentially other uh, roles and industries. And so the way I've sort of done that throughout my career has been, you know, I might do a little side hustle or I might go to some seminars or work with some people or actually just hang out with some people and say, can I come and, you know, uh, work in your office for a couple of days just to learn a bit more about what you do. And I know that seems a really strange question to ask, but people are often very generous with their time because they're like, oh, you're you're interested in what I do. So I've did that a few times as well. And so that uh, got me into a communications and marketing organisation, which is called uh, Bastion. So I started the New South Wales office uh, for them over eight, nine years ago now, and I'm still a shareholder of that organisation today. So that's all marketing, comms, PR, sponsorship, um, research, so quite a diverse diverse business, um, but always loved tourism and travel. So about six years ago, I applied for a uh, my first official big um, board role, which was with the Tourism uh, Tasmania. So I was appointed as a director for Tourism Tas and uh, have just been reappointed now for another two years. Um, so the Premier has just extended that, which is pretty exciting. It's a position I love, I'm very passionate about. And whilst I was in the marketing comms agency land, it was nice to have that sort of link still with tourism, which I love as well. Um, in amongst all this, I um, had started a candle company four years ago. That's with one of my best friends. And we just did that. That's a creative side of me that sort of I slowly try and, you know, draw out a little bit. And uh, that was just a bit of a side hustle. It's a bit fun. It's been mental through COVID. <laughs> 
it's been crazy. So that's been, um, that's a lot. It's, it's quite good and we've been really ramping that up. And then um, about, well, yeah, probably uh, nine, ten months ago, I was appointed in my first ASX listed company. So that's Experience Co. And that's been a really interesting, uh, you know, learning curve, especially through this year, which has um, been lots of challenges for that business being in tourism for um, throughout COVID. So I've learned a lot and, um, you know, continue to do so. And about um, 18 months ago, I left the day-to-day of uh, working for Bastion and started to do some other things. And one of those, I do a bit of speaking and I started to write um, some books on some um, topics that I felt very passionate about and thought it would be good to share my stories in those. And I think we can go through that a little bit more. Um, yeah, so, and I think literally through COVID, I've just been flourishing. And I know that's, you know, I'm not saying that without being very conscious of how hard it's been for a lot of people this year. But um, for me, it's, um, you know, I've taken the opportunity to really look within and um, kind of expand my creative wings, I guess, Ruby. I think that's kind of the thing that's been happening. So it's been pretty exciting and some big things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Thought it should be a while. Oh, for everyone listening, the, the word that comes to mind, I mean, like my heart just expands hearing you talk about exploring your creativity. And you you sounds like you always had that within you. You, you found ways to bring that into your work. But I guess now you're what we call doubling down on it, so to speak. Uh, so that was one aspect that I really, really loved. And I'm sure many of the women listening and, and men too in this audience are probably thinking, wow, this woman is ambitious is probably, you know, you went after a lot of different roles that not everyone um, is looking to do in their life. I have many people, you know, that, that that's their kind of track and then other people are small business and you're, you've been able to do a bit of both now, which is amazing. And I'm sure being able to translate some of those well, you've got a, a crap load of skills, actually, to be honest, to translate probably into small business. But uh, I mean, did would you consider yourself ambitious and confident and extroverted that, you know, is that your style, you know, go all the way to the top? Or were these just very much, um, these are the next steps, these are the next or- organic things. And I guess I love also just to add on to that. I love your approach to finding out the next direction in your in your path. And I think so many of us get at this intersection in our careers where we go, okay, something's a bit out of alignment. I'm not working for a company. It doesn't sit well with me right now. Like, what the hell do I do next? And that's often where they'll come to me or they'll come to a a career coach. And you've been in that crossroads and thought, how can I, how can I, get into some of these businesses without yet being full-time in them Mm. and explore them and have that curiosity. I'm wondering, yeah, does that ambition and that curiosity, um, it obviously suits you very well. Is that something you had to cultivate over time or did it come through leading tours? You know, you have to have a bit of confidence to do that. Yeah, um, good questions. There's a few things in there. Yeah. I think fundamentally I'm a curious soul and I have always been that way. You know, I'm a um, second out of four children and I was a pain in the ass. you know, to be honest. (laughs) Like I was always that, but why? And tell me how that works and how to explain that and why do we have to do this? And and it was more just because I wanted to learn. I'm a voracious learner Mm -hmm. and um, I just believe you never stop learning until you die. Like, you know, when people say, Oh, I've learned everything I can in life. I'm like, oh, why? where does that come from? You, you know, always learning. There's so much. And, and I love that. I really do love that about life. Um, and I'm not afraid to ask questions and I'm not afraid to put my hand up and say, I don't understand, or I don't know how to do that. Like, mm-hmm. but can you show me or mm-hmm. can I learn? Or So I think they're fundamentally um, qualities that are just innate within me. Um, in terms of ambition, 
you know, I'm an A-type. I was a high-level athlete. I mean, you know, we talked about my career. We didn't talk about, you know, before all that. When I went to the Institute of Sport. I played netball for um, Victoria and then underage for um, Australian squads. So, you know, when you're that type of person, you're clearly, you are driven. Mm. Um, but a beautiful friend of mine described years ago, you know, with a, a staff member that worked for me and she's like, man, he's like voraciously ambitious and he just like is full on and this and that. And I was like, yeah, but I think I'm probably ambitious. She says, yeah, yeah, but you're like a quiet achiever. You know, she said, you have an amazing ambition, but, you know, it's subtle. And uh, I was like, oh, that's interesting that someone observes it that way, I guess. So, yeah, always, always was a natural leader, even from, you know, my first job at, in a supermarket at 15, I, you know, was a team leader at school. I was a school um, school captain. And so I think there's that element as well. Mm. Um, one of the things I've had to work on is around the perfection element. And um, that's why I started a company um, called the Wabi Sabi series, which is all about embracing imperfection. And I, I thought I'm going to do that to challenge myself and remind myself every day that I need to stop you know, you don't have to do everything perfectly um, and to give my, cut myself a bit of slack and to appreciate that I've had some really challenging things throughout my life happen to me personally, um, especially health-wise and um, family-wise and that, you know, I've got lots of scars and I've got lots of flaws as we all do and that's okay. And so that was kind of the journey I've been on the last sort of 18 months is sort of really, um going deeper I guess and and bringing that um you know that real vulnerability and um emotional element of who I am to um you know out into the open more I guess in the corporate world Mm. whereas you know as a CEO you know I've always been uh, personable um and that's been a quality that's been you know a lot of stuff I've said about you know the years and I think um I'm a very proud woman I um you know I love being a woman and my love, you know, embrace my femininity, but I am a bit of a tomboy at heart as well. And so being, you know, sitting for 20 years on boards where I was a lot of the time, the only woman, um, you know, I could mix it in that regard, but I'm very, very happy and very um, confident with my femininity as well. And I think that's a nice, um, it's a nice place to get to. I wasn't always that way. It did take a while. But um, when you are comfortable in your own skin and you can embrace it, there's nothing better than a, a woman that is very comfortable um, versus a woman that's trying to mix it in the corporate sense and be like the blokes. It just doesn't it doesn't work, you know. We're not authentically ourselves. Yeah, yeah, totally. And and I can so so relate to that experience and now uh, having my own business and doing things like the podcast and writing and not to the same extent that that you've been writing but certainly like what what am I going to choose the path of uh, revealing more more of my story because actually deep down I know that's what people are really going to connect with and and doing that in a way that feels good for me as well not just um, some kind of uh, <laughs> spewing everything out, mm. but you know, appropriate to my business. Versus, I get that you know, when you're in that c- corporate career and you kind of have, um, yeah, you're personable, but there's also a little bit of a shield up. Well, there certainly was for me to protect mm. myself, to have a certain uh, image, if you will, and. Um, yeah, like sometimes I, I was in a very male-dominated environment too and to really mix it with what you believed also. It's funny. I think we have that perception sometimes that a male-dominated uh, environment is really hard and really blokey and, yeah, I was on building sites and construction sites, so there was a bit of that. But then mm-hmm. also there's the most gentle, beautiful men that I worked with as well that I can recall so it's kind of funny how I think some of it is actually just stereotypes, isn't it, that society creates for us that we yeah, feel we definitely. have to fit into, yeah. Yeah, and I think that was probably, it's a good segue into um, the first book that I wrote, which is a stereotype because I um, was a big corporate chick and um, was running, you know, big companies. Um, STA, I was in charge of about 650 staff and then I took another role that was in charge of about 1,800 staff. So, you know, big big businesses and um, 
you have a perception, I guess, when people um, see you in those roles. And often people would talk about me having kids and say, oh, so, you know, you put your career first before your, you know, your children. That's why you don't have family and stuff. And, and it used to really bug me because people didn't know my story. And it was often those people that um, didn't know anything about me that were judging me. And I thought, you know, it just used to be like it was building up and I was getting cranky and cranky about it. And then it sort of hit that, like some of my mates um, were, you know, going through IVF and um, some hadn't met the right partner, you know, some um, had had done multiple cases of IVF, you know, some weren't sure whether they wanted to be a mum yet, they were still trying to navigate that. And what happened for me was actually the decision was made for me. I had cancer at 31, so mm-hmm. I had cervical cancer and um, I had a radical hysterectomy in a tumour the size of a small, like, football taken out of me. So that really changed my life and um, gave me a different purpose and a different kind of drive, I guess, in in other ways. But I was judged on a, on a daily basis and those stereotypes of because I didn't have kids that actually I was just this corporate hard ass, you know, and... I just, it used to make me really cranky. So I got on the stage, um, it was at a TED Talk actually in, um, in when it was at the Sydney Opera House and I did a mini mini talk and stood in front of 2,200 people and said, it's okay not to have kids. And I, you know, gave a brief thing of my story and said this is why and we need to change this perception and we need to stop judging people, you know, others through the lens that we see, you know, our lives ourselves and it's time for that to stop and to change. Anyway, it kind of blew up and people were like, I got interviews and all this sort of place and started writing articles and things. And then I did that similar talk but a longer version of it um, a year ago and um, there were a couple of people in the audience that hit me up and said, you need to write a book on this. What, like, what are you doing? You know, are you on the speaking circuit with these talks because they're so different and you're really tackling topics and conversations that people, it makes people uncomfortable but that stuff you know, that you need to talk about. It's, it's um, you know, the shit that we need to say, right? So, mm. Sorry, I keep swearing on your podcast. Hope that's okay. Oh, <laughs> we'll put an E on. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, so then I, I, you know, in terms of the writing sort of side, I um, had no interest to write. I was, even though I ran a comms company for seven years, I was not um, a confident writer. I would get, you know, the team would say, we need you to write a piece on stuff. And I'm like, good, just interview me or I'll talk into them, you know, into a, um, a mic thing about it. I'll give you all the lines and the different elements, but it's not my, you know, area of expertise. And I think as a, a leader um, in the corporate world for 25 years, you learn what you're good at and what you're not so good at. So I just always thought that I wasn't great at writing. And I think part of it was, you know, just wasn't great at English at school. I never was, a, you know, someone that journaled. I still don't now, even though um, the writing process was so incredibly cathartic for me. I kind of wish that I'd been a journaler because I have a busy brain. And I think mm. if you do have that and you need to get clarity of thought, um, journaling helps immensely. So, you know, if, if you know, you, that's you, I'd recommend you um, try and at least just write bits of stuff down to help to help clear your head. So um, I, uh, you know, I had this epiphany because these people keep asking me. It was about the 13th person that said, you need to write a book. And I thought, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse. I'm like no interest and I'm, I'm you know, a corporate person uh, in terms of a business sense of knowing that you don't make money from books. So I'm like, why would I do that, you know? And the other side was that putting yourself out there and putting everything in writing. It was one thing to stand on a stage and talk about a story, which I've done a few times and talked about some of my my stories and stuff. But I just have it in print forever yeah. was quite <laughs> confronting. <laughs> so um, anyway, I woke up 3 o'clock in the morning um, and had this epiphany about it wasn't one book, it was a series of books because all my stories were quite different of the things that I wanted to talk about and I wanted to say. And I thought they can be short, sharp reads. And um, I, had, I literally knew the way they were going to look, um, uh, the size of them. I wanted them to fit in your handbag or, you know, in a little kind of satchel if you're on the on the, um, the bus or a plane or something. And I knew the covers. I designed it all that morning, came up with six titles, knew the topics. This was all like this, you know, almost like a streaming of ideas and stuff. And, um, and that was it. And that was a year ago. And I um, 
then rang a mate of mine. She literally, she's coming to dinner tonight. She lives in uh, Melbourne. And uh, I said to her, I've got this idea. And I came up with the Wabi Sabi name as well, like all in the same space. And so by the time I'd come back into the yoga class, I rang her and I said, what do you think? And she said, I've got goosebumps. This is absolutely what you should be doing. It feels right. It's amazing. I can hear in your voice. You're so excited and passionate about it. So that set me off. And then I just thought, well, I'll see where it goes. <laughs> and I thought no expectation. And I think that's the key, Ruby, about, you know, not being what I term a reluctant writer. Um, I just thought I'll see, you know, if this is any good and I'll try and put it together. Then I met with a couple of publishing houses um, when I got, well, actually, sorry, I stepped forward a bit fast. When I finished my first version, and I think it's it's actually good if you can get out of your normal day-to-day in some way, if you're able to, you know, rent someone else's house or go camping or something and get into a, a unique space to be mm. able to write, that's something that really helped me. And I've seen this year because I've got book four and five on my walls here, so you can see it, but the listeners can't. There's a bunch of sticky notes with all my uh, chapter yeah. layouts. That's they've been sitting there now for four months. And um, all through COVID, I thought I would get into the writing, but I haven't been able to do it. It's just I've not been in the right headspace. But I've also been a little bit busy with other things, <laughs> my own podcast and stuff as well. So um, I, uh, yeah, we went. My husband and I were in Europe for um, for holidays, and I just thought I'll take the time and see. So I was living the dream. We'd go to these little cafes in the middle of Rome or um, Portugal, and he'd go off and do his thing for a few hours, and we'd meet it, you know, for lunch a few hours later, and um, just tried to write every day. That was a key point. Doesn't matter if you get one sentence out, but it's the you know the element of just like the discipline, I guess, of writing. That was the key thing that a, mate, a famous writer made of mine told me and then I came back and I had the first draft and um, I thought okay I think it's pretty good again I wouldn't let anyone read it I was so nervous and a mate of mine who happens to be an award-winning book writer um, Andrea Clark and she's a journo and she's tough and like ruthless on stuffing and I knew that she would give me really positive or really um, honest feedback yeah yeah and so I gave the draft to her you know literally holding my breath and freaking oh, out freaking. thinking oh, what if she thinks it's shit what if she thinks I can't write I'm ter- how embarrassing and anyway she um came back and she said you can write there's no doubt she said you just need a um you know an editor to finesse it and um, to do sort of a couple of structural edits and do elements which then I learned the process of what happens when you get your first draft it completely changes multiple times and uh, off I went. And so that was that sort of gave me the confidence, I guess, to start the next phase. And I chose to self-publish. Um, that was it was an interesting, you know, learning about the publishing world. I didn't really know how it worked. It was a whole new industry. And as I said before, if I don't know anything, I ask lots of questions. Mm. So all mates that had published, self-published, had done a bit of a hybrid approach, met with them all or had a chat, asked them what were the pros and cons in their minds, you know, what kind of money do they have to pay for themselves, what did they get, a, you know, an um, advance if they were published by someone else, all those questions. And, um, yeah, went through the process and then ended up publishing three books. Um, so the first one is It's Okay Not to Have Kids of that um, big first speech and that was uh, the underlining subtitle is We Are More Than Our Parental Status. So it's not just about people that don't have kids. It's actually a lot of people that do have kids read it and go, wow, I had no idea that this is, you know, our um, biases and our assumptions and how shit we make you guys feel sometimes by our dumb questions and the things that we say. Um, Because it's often the first question people say, hi, how are you? Where do you work? Where are you from? And do you have kids? And so it's tiresome, (laughs) you know. So I give people ideas of other things you can talk about. and also just being a bit gentler on people, you know, as I said, when when that decision was made for me and going through a cancer recovery and then to be asked constantly about, oh, have you got kids? Are you going to have kids? Do you want kids? I'm like, it's actually quite heartless, you know, and every time I'd have to be strong and, you know, come up with a reason why not because I was like, I'm not going to go into the detail with this stranger. Um, then the second book was off the basis of uh, me dealing with my own mortality and uh, the fact that I've lost a lot of people in my life. So um, I'm what's termed an adult orphan. And that is a um, the book called Death Doesn't Have to be Morbid. And that's about life, death and learning to grieve. 
And that book just won an award last week, which I'm super excited. (laughs) (laughs) So the Australian Business Book Awards, I won uh, the book of the year in the personal development category, which is, uh, yeah, I can't even tell you how happy I am about that. And it's just the affirmation, I guess, of the self-doubt that I had about being a writer, the process I went through to be self-published and the um, scrutiny and opinions that people have about you being a self-published author, you know, that maybe your book's not good enough or, you know, you had to self-publish because the, you know, publishing house wouldn't take you on and all those things. So there's a lot of self-doubt there to say, oh, is my book worthy? And, um, yeah, so that was amazing. And it was a it was 28 books, oh, sorry, 26 books in the category um, that I uh, won against, which was pretty amazing. And then the third book I came out um, and wrote was uh, Doctors Are Not Gods. And that was around, you know, focusing on being in control of your own um, health and well-being mm-hmm. and you being the master of that and not handing over control to others. Mm-hmm. And so they're really important topics that I think, you know, we need to talk about more. And I know some people are confronted by the headings even, let alone the content, but I feel that we need to talk about this stuff and actually stop shying away from it and share our vulnerability and share our stories in this regard to potentially help others. And I think uh, so many, so many, we've we've got so many opportunities these days to source information and ideas from different places. I think certainly this year that's been really made apparent to me as you kind of look beyond what's told to you by a newspaper or the four basic news channels or something that you've got. And so I think, you know, you're you're also answering a lot of the questions that some people might feel inside but be too afraid to pursue because of all of these uh, beliefs or just really what's in front of them, what they're Mm. confronted with every single day. Mm. Uh, So I think it's really interesting. I've got a lot of women in the birth space who would really love the one around doctors (laughs) Mm. (laughs) because, uh, because of the type of um, direction they, they take with birth and being, um, you know, uh, just their approach around the system and things, I think, yeah, it's it's just great for you to understand that n- not everything you are told is black and white and you don't have to believe what everything else, everyone else mm. believes. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think the key thing about it was I was misdiagnosed for nine months. Right. So I do hold the doctor responsible yeah. for the fact that I can't have children and yeah. and I told her that. Um, but that was a you know long process to get through that. It was a pretty horrendous experience. And so what I've done with all the books is they're not self-help. Like I don't tell you what to do. I share my stories that these are my personal experiences. This is what's happened to me. And you know, in some cases, my mum and mum was misdiagnosed a couple of times as well. My mum died at 47 um, of wow. breast cancer, and she kept going back to the doctor saying there's something wrong, something wrong, and um, you know, was treated pretty badly. And um, the thing that the core message with that particular book, it's not, I'm not bashing doctors around the head. I'm just saying, actually, we have our own sense of responsibility. We know our bodies better than anyone. And we hand over that control and right often. And the thing that I never really understood is that I'm an incredibly strong you know, leader, female, like advocate in business, and I'll sit around a board table and advocate for others. I will be able to advocate for you on your behalf, but put me in front of a doctor and I become this tiny little Mm. human that they say something that doesn't make sense to me and I go, okay. So that was really, you know, I thought if that's happening to me and I'm a, you know, a strong forward um, opinionated person how many other people actually that don't have as strong a voice as I do um, getting railroaded and, and you know being pushed into decisions that potentially aren't right for them mm-hmm. so that was sort of the message with that book and um, yeah it's made a big difference so far I've got some phenomenal feedback from people and yeah. to the point that I had a, a woman write me a letter and say that um, I think you've saved my dad's life which was just phenomenal. And she said, I used your book to help my mum to get him to go back and get a second opinion, which they found that the first doctor was incredibly negligent. So stuff like that just makes a difference and, yeah, yeah, it makes me feel good. It makes it all worthwhile putting yourself out there like that. 
all, all from some ideas that that uh, whether it was coming from other people isn't it incredible that you don't often know where something's going to go but you yeah. know you know that you have to get this out there and then all of this uh beautiful stuff has happened as a result to yeah. it be to you or to other people in your life and I think that's also just a um reflecting back to you who you are as a person and how so much of this comes from the transparency but also your heart and just the goodness of of creating these these books as well yeah and I think I think that for me I mean it was tough to write them and it was as I said cathartic but also I'd never really gone through some of that stuff like I hadn't help with the healing process. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I didn't really write them for me in that regard. Like some people say, oh, I wrote this book for me and then it turned out. I kind of felt that I needed to share the stories because when I spoke about these topics on the stage, I would get a phenomenal response. And I thought, well, more people need to hear this stuff by the, you know, I think that a lot of people having similar experiences or even they can relate in some way if this helps. And that was where it was coming from. But it, yeah, it did did a lot for myself, like my own kind of healing and stuff as well. And probably understanding of, you know, I guess ways I'd been feeling about some of those circumstances, um, potentially being able to move forward with stuff and let, let it go as well, you know, move on. Um, but there were some realizations, you know, like I literally was sitting there writing the book. Um, I think it was the death book. And I it like I was thinking about my mum and sat there and thought, wow, I'm l- exactly the same age that, that my mum was when she died. And she had four kids. You know, her life was very different to mine. And um, and that was, you know, 20 years before she'd passed away. And but I was just that, wow, like here I am writing about this stuff and recalling the stories and thinking about her and her journey and what she went through. And uh, this was it for her. And I think that probably gave me the the confidence and the, you know, to be able to propel me to go, like, this could be it. You know, this was it for my mum. Mm. And oh, I'm upset actually thinking about it again. Yeah. Um, and I just, I'm like, what have I got to lose? You know, all that self-doubt and thinking, oh, how scary is this? And what if I get all these trollers about my books and, you know, hate what I've written and, like I don't think I could cope with that or what if they're an absolute flop and no one buys them, all the all the doubt that you go through with a major project like that. And when it's so personal, I'd done a lot of that stuff in work, but when it's so personal, it's tough. Like it's, you know, you like it was daily. I was going through this shit daily going. And, and I'd also have girlfriends that would say, um, like, why are you doing this? You know, sounds torturous. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. why would you even do that and put yourself out there like that? Like, are you crap? I couldn't think of anything worse. And I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like I have to do it. Yeah. And I'm not, it's not like, not something that naturally I want to do. Like, I actually don't really want to do it. It was weird. So, um, yeah, it was some kind of weird calling, I think. And that was the first thing. And I just thought, wow, I could be dead tomorrow, like my mum was. And like, that's the worst thing that can happen. So anything from here is a walk in the park. So fuck it, like give it a go, you know, and that's what I did and put them out there. And then I think if I think back, you know, that was a year ago, what's happened since then? So these kind of were a catalyst because um, people were confronted by the topics and probably still are. Um, Some people said to me, oh, I can't, it's no point me reading the big kids' books. I've got kids. It's too late for me to read that. I'm like, actually, You've said some pretty inappropriate things to me over the years. You'd be it'd be really good for you to read it to understand how, you know, you navigate other people because mm. you've got your own kids coming or you've got nieces or other people in your life that you're going to put your expectations on saying, "When are you having kids?" I'm like, mm. "It needs to stop." So they were like, "Oh, okay." And another friend it was like, "I can't I can't buy your death book because I haven't lost anyone in my life and I don't want to tempt fate." I was like, "Oh my goodness." <laughs> You're again. <laughs> yeah, you need to read it. It's yeah. I'm trying to help you, encourage you to live a more fulfilled life and use we're all gonna die. Not you can't so shy away from it. And it's one of those fears, face your fears, yeah. right? You know, don't run away from that shit. And that's where I'm a very big advocate of that. The more scared I am, I'm like, okay, I've got to go in, I've got to do it. And it's never as bad as you think it's gonna be. Never. 
And so um, they were sort of the elements as well. And then uh, it made me think because I'd always thought I wanted to do a podcast. So it was sort of three elements to the Wabi Sabi series when I created it. The books was one, the speaking was another, and the third one was a podcast. And I couldn't think about the hook. I couldn't, you know, as we know, there's lots of podcasts out there and people talk about lots of different things. And I thought I want there to be a really different hook mm. and I want it to be like the books, short, sharp, you know, 25-minute conversations. And so I came up with um, these were uncomfortable topics that I wrote about. I'm like, I want to have more conversations about topics that people make people uncomfortable. I want to bring more things to the fore that, you know, we need to talk about and to get more comfortable with. And so that's where that came from. And it's called Unlikely Conversations on uh, Unlikely Conversations about Uncomfortable Topics. And um, it has been massive. Like, so I started it through COVID and I ask my guests one question and it's if there was one thing in society you that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? And so the topics, I'm up to the 32nd interview or something um, episode, and they're so far and wide and different but it, I'm loving it I'm loving yeah. the conversations and bringing these topics you know out in the open um and confronting people and challenging people I know it but it's good it's mm. good for us all mm. Mm. oh you are you're an amazing woman an amazing woman and I say that like almost with tears in my eyes because <laughs> Uh, you're so honest and transparent about your journey and the fact that there's been self-doubt, yet having the audacity to say, I need to do this, I'm going to go for it. And audacious, but I think what I love about you, Michelle, is that you also adopt a beginner's mindset in that you know it's okay to start from the beginning. And this is something I always encourage clients to do you go out and you ask, who do I know? You know, you've got a great uh, sphere of very influential people now through your work, but I'm pretty sure you didn't just sit back. You actually cultivated those relationships over the years. And now it's like, cool, okay, I can ask that person that one favor about what it's like to write a book. And mm. I would encourage people because you, everybody wants to help, right? That's like, ingrained in us as humans is to be helpful so don't be afraid you're not going to be annoying or a problem if you need to ask a question of someone that has some experience that's that's one really really key thing and this year has also uh, led you to do some things that people might go well this is why why would you do that in this year uh, one being start the podcast, uh, but number two, you've also recently opened a store, Atelier, Atelier Nine, Nine. Yeah, Atelier Nine. and yeah, in your candle company, and yeah. it's like, you know, kind of you're one of those people that can see their ex the external environment and realize, okay, this is all going on, but there's there's some way through this. I don't have to let that be the thing that um, stops me or my, mm, my, mm. my one barrier, you know, tell me about this process of starting uh, another small business this year. Because <laughs> I'm not busy enough. Yeah. <laughs> so my husband was like, are you serious? <laughs> um, and, and working with friends as well. Yeah. Yeah. It feels really good. Yeah. But it's like the books, it just, and the podcasts, like, you know, again, like you don't make money from books. You know, don't make him making money from podcasts, but it's like I do a lot of philo, you know philanthropic work all through my life and stuff, and this is an element of that for me about mm -hmm. giving back and having no expectation of that returning to me. It's just these are conversations I'm putting out there that I know are having impact um, positively on others, so it feels really good. Um, Atelier Nine in Avalon here in the Northern Beaches in Sydney. Um, I literally came up with the idea maybe three months ago, I was thinking about because it it's happened really fast. Um, I was sitting um, uh, in, my husband and I escaped to the uh, across to the border before Queensland had closed and we were going for two weeks. We'd had a holiday plan and we got across the border 20 hours before it closed. And then we just stayed there. <laughs> we thought, well, yeah, we can do our work from anywhere. Um, and I did lots of podcast interviews when I was up in um, Queensland. So 
I was there and um, I'd been doing, I've been doing pottery for a year, so ceramics. And again, that creative side, I wanted, I'd been wanting to do something like that for a long, long time. And when I was a kid, I used to do that with my mum, but I hadn't done anything for 30, 40 years or something. So um, I'd enrolled in a little local community co- course here and in uh, Narrabeen and been doing it for about seven, eight months. And um, and I was getting quite good at it. And mates of mine had been buying pieces off me even without me kind of, you know, um, pitching that sort of stuff and thought, oh, okay, this must be okay. And I've just loved it and I wanted to do more and more of it. So then I decided I was going to buy a wheel and I thought, all right, I'm going to kind of, it's just more than a hobby. It's going to be a business bit like the candles started off as a hobby and then we kind of ramped it up. It's gone bananas. And um, and my candle company is called Knox Cox Candle Co, by the way. Um, if anyone's after candles for Christmas, I'll do a plug. Um, and um, then the ceramics, I thought, where am I going to put the wheel in the house? Because it's pretty messy. And I was like, well, then I probably need a kiln. Where am I going to put that? And I started to think about it all. And I thought, you know what? We've been making candles on my kitchen bench for four years. I'm in a little bit over it. <laughs> so, yeah. so maybe we need to get a space. Four we years, have- guys. From yeah. home. Yeah. Business. <laughs> That's it. A little, um, yeah. And it's, you know, we just, we call it a, a, um, a little hobby business because it's, you know, we do it when we can. My girlfriend, you know, she's the Knox to my Cox and um, she's got three kids. So, you know, full on, we've both got a lot going on. So um, then I thought maybe it's time for us to get a warehouse and because we've got so much, so many boxes of stuff that we're taking over our garages and all that extra crap. So then I started to think about, well, I could do the pottery there. I could have my candles there all the books I could do, the podcasting there. And now 18 months I've been working out of this office at home. And my husband, all through COVID, he's been working out of our other, you know, spare bedroom, you know, the same. And I'm like, well, we've got two of our rooms in our house that are also used, you know, for offices and we don't really get any tax benefit for that. And so I was like, you know, we could afford to do it. So I literally came up with this idea and this plan when I'm sitting in Queensland, had a couple of red wines and shot a... um, a, an email off to my financial advisor and he's worked with me for about 18 years this guy he actually lived with me in Alice Springs like that's how long we've worked together and so he's used to my wacky ideas that I come up with oh I've got another business plan and so he always keeps me in check and I said this is what I'm thinking you know like an offset for our businesses blah blah blah, blah. I went through the whole thing I thought what do you reckon and I thought I need to get him on side to then be able to pitch it to my husband to go yeah I'm going to invest in something else again because <laughs> I have to take him on the journey with me and he came back and said, fantastic idea. And COVID, you know, because of COVID, we're getting benefits for um, equipment, you know, write-offs and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, boom, done. And then I contacted a mate and said to her, um, her husband had just opened a brewery, a beautiful new little brewery here in Avalon, a microbrewery called Trust Tree Brewery. Yeah. And uh, I said, look, um, Sasha, I hope you don't mind me asking, uh, back to me asking anyone I know, but um, how much is Brad paying for his rent? you know, it's a, like, it's a factory little warehouse in the back streets of Avalon. I'm just curious what the price is to, you know, whether I could afford something like that. And uh, she came straight back to me and said, what are you doing? What are you thinking? (laughs) Because I've been working out of my garage for two years and I'm over it. And she said, maybe we could collaborate and do a space. And I was like, that is a dream for me to create a creative makers artist studio. And um, again, always been artistic and creative, but the corporate side's sort of, I guess, not having enough times in the day, you know, that's sort of taken over. And so that's where it was born, like literally, you know, three months ago, um, sitting in Queensland, then spoke to Summer, who Summer knocks with the candles and said, you know, this is probably what we can afford to pay from a rent size. Are you in? So we talked it all through and um, we've created this beautiful space. I'm so proud of it. And it opened last week. And what I did with it was the other passion side of that I've done for years is mentor and um, coach a lot of businesswomen mm. and a lot of small companies. And I wanted to support a lot of um, women locally. So all the, we've got a little beautiful shop at the front. So we sell all our wares, so our candles, um, all my pottery is there, uh, the books. And um, Sasha makes beautiful jewellery and incredible. Juno and Ace is her company. Incredible um Uh, kinetic mobiles and so we sell all our stuff and then I've done I've got 10 other suppliers artists sculptors um, makers creators anything from body products to magnesium to beautiful um, baskets that you know take all your shopping with to um, 
natural oils to bath bombs to tea, everything. And um, they're all 95% of the companies are Northern Beaches companies. So it's a really interesting point of difference. So the locals and the community has got around it massively um, and 95% of them are female-founded businesses. So it's just a beautiful thing again to do for the community and I'm so proud of it and it's just a beautiful space and I feel it feels good to go there every day. It's really fun. Ah, amazing, amazing. I'm so glad we were able to end on you sharing that and thank you so much, Michelle. I I just love listening to your story and love listening to your approach to life, probably because I find some kinship in that as well, which is, it's like really nice. I'm sure so many women are going to listen to this. And I think that's the beautiful thing about podcasting is that when you get such interesting guests on, we all identify with different ones, but we don't feel so alone in our crazy ideas anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. Have a crack. That's my message I want to leave. Like, you know, what have you got to lose? And I think the thing that I often do in a business plan, and I did do that with this as well, is I'm I'm sensible about the numbers. I'm not ever stupid Mm. about stuff because I'm self-made. Like every dollar I've ever earned and got to where I did, I did myself. And so I know how hard it is to make a dollar. I also know how hard it is or easy it is to lose a dollar. So, um, you know, I'm not stupid about my investment decisions, but I... Uh, the way I sort of look at it is I put as much information that I can possibly control or know or understand on the page. And then it's always, you need to write it all down because you need to reflect and look at it. It's always good if you've got someone else to have a look at it as well and give you, you missed this, or here's another point, or have you thought about that? So ask anyone you know that can give you some feedback on an idea or a business plan. Then, um, and it doesn't have to be elaborate, um, but clearly that's the kind of work I'm sure you help your clients with anyway. Um, and then I, I have what I call a red line. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is if it all goes to shit, yeah. <laughs> nothing works. If I don't sell a thing, if I can't do, you know, whatever it is, all those elements, um, what, what's going to happen? Like, am I going to be, am I going to lose money? Am mm-hmm. I just going to be, you know, it's a cost neutral exercise. If I, am I going to be in debt with it? What is that? What is that red line? Mm-hmm. And then I make my decision based on that to go, okay, am I comfortable with that? So if it doesn't work and in a year time I say, oh, sorry, I had to close it down, I gave it a go, you know, and I'm not afraid of that failure element anymore. I used to be, but you've got to have a crack at it and you learn so much through that. And so I I look at it as like another part of a university of life. And instead of thinking I've got to know all the answers before I start a business or open something, I actually go, I'm going to learn along the way and I'm going to iterate and I'm going to pivot and I'm going to change and do all these sort of elements. And that's part of the process. That doesn't mean you fail. It's part mm. of the process. Mm. And the more we get that, especially as women, the better we'll be as business women as well. And so there, I make the decision based from that. And then I go, righto, that's it. I'm comfortable with that or I'm not. And there's lots of decisions of businesses I haven't gone ahead with because that red line was too, you know, too far for me. Um, and then I go my hardest and I give it everything. You can't open a business and then take, you know, just ho-hum, go along right. and expect it yeah. to work. It yeah. is bloody hard work. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, for your listeners that are in business, they know that. It's tough and it's, it's you know, everyone thinks it's glamorous and whatever, but it's uh, it's not often. It's really tough going, but there's lots of beautiful wins as well as, um, you know, fabulous moments as, as well as some challenges along the way that you hopefully learn from. Yeah. Oh, Michelle, I could talk to you for hours and hours, I'm sure, and hopefully we can make that happen one day. Uh, Is there any last words that you would like to leave us with before you get on with the rest of your day? I think I just sat, you know, that little rant there at the end, I think I said (laughs) everything that that I want to share. It's just, um, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. And um, thanks for doing what you do to share your knowledge and get you know people on that can help all mm. your listeners as well. It's a beautiful thing, Ruby. It's been yeah, divine to chat yeah. to you today. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much, Michelle.